I've been in the ministry 55 years. I've done the specialized ministry that God called me to for 30 years plus. And I've been a part of your church life for almost 22 years. So I can say that I feel at least a modicum of comfort in being here, not totally as a stranger. I've had the privilege of preaching in and working with churches all over the United States and to some degree outside of the United States. But I want you to know this morning that I would not change or exchange your choir and your music for any that I've ever been exposed to uh, anywhere. If I lived within 100 miles of uh, Hercules in the Bay Area, I would drive that 100 miles just to be a part. Uh, Ann has me on a pretty tight budget, so I can't fly regularly, but, and it takes too long to drive here and to drive back. 40 years and counting. In October 1971, an aspiring young theologue with a desire in his heart to be obedient to the heavenly calling, having a fire deep down in his belly that he could not contain, armed with the word of God and his scripture that said, no weapon raised against you shall prosper, accompanied by a loving, supportive helpmate made his way into the area of Hercules, California to plant an island of faith. And we sit here today as a result of that resolve and that dedication and that obedient commitment to the call of God. But let me say to you that at the end of 40 years, it is not the end. It is the beginning. Your past ended yesterday. Your future begins tomorrow, but you are involved in today. Do you know that in reality we really do not have a future beyond today? Today is the yesterday that you hope for. Today is the tomorrow that you hope for yesterday. You'll never get to tomorrow because when you go to sleep tonight, and you wake up in the morning, it's today. So we live in the present, grateful for the past. And by the grace and the mercy of God, someday we'll look behind us and see what was the future past. And that's the way it's always been with the people of God. When God was getting ready to deliver his people out of Egypt, he called a young 40-year-old and said to him, I want you to deliver my people and after Moses had argued with God for a little while, Moses said to God, Who are you? What will I tell them when they ask who sent me? And God said, Just tell them I am. I am sent you. Later in the prophet Isaiah, God speaks these same words to Isaiah. I am the first and the last 
there is no God but me. Isn't it interesting that God did not say to Moses, I was, though he was, in the beginning, God. Isn't it interesting that God did not say, I will be, though he will be, from everlasting to everlasting. But what did he choose to say? I am. Meaning that he is always present in our lives at the appropriate time. Let me read to you from the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy with a few remarks. You shall remember that the Lord Somebody helping me? You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep its commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna with which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me ask a question. Am I roaring to you? I'm roaring in my ears. Okay. I can take it if you can. God led you all the way these 40 years years. What God said to the Israelites, he says to you. When God called Isaiah, Isaiah in responding to God, voluntarily committed to do whatever God wanted him to do. But he had a question. Lord, how long? God said to Isaiah, until, and then he gave a list of things that would happen, Isaiah being faithful until they were completed. I don't know whether Phil asked God that or not. If he did, the answer would be the same. But God has called us, you, particularly at Valley Bible Church, to be faithful unto the end. I will be with you until the end of the ages, said Jesus, assuming that we would be walking as he had called us to walk. The children of Israel were hungry, and as they expressed their need and their hunger to God, God said, I am able. Take manna and eat. The children of Israel needed water, and God said, I am. Strike the rock and drink. And where the Spirit of God was, the people of God were delivered and were guided and directed and enabled and helped at all times. Your past has been interesting. 
we could go year by year or event by event, but we've seen on the screen enough to understand and know that there were good times and there were difficult times. There were highlights and there were lowlights, but never was there a time that you walked in the valley of the shadow without being aware of the fact that he was with you and ultimately he delivered you in your need. Many of you have been to the mountaintop in your personal experience and experiences with the church and we've seen miracle after miracle occur and take place and we have praised God and thanked God that he still does as he said he would because he is I am. Many of you have walked in the valley of the shadow and when David wrote that he used a Hebrew word that did not literally mean death only it's the Hebrew word that means deep, dark places. All of us walk in the valley of deep, dark places. Those places that we would not choose, perhaps, if we were able. Those places that we would not want if we had the opportunity to avoid them. Those places that we wished would not come, but they do. And we walk through, notice it's through the valley of deep, dark places. Why? Because he is with us. It is not the motivation only. It is in the enablement. It is in the help. And when we get to the place that we say, God, I cannot, he said, that's right, but I can and I will. Many of you have said, I am hungry. And God said, here's manna. Many have said, I am thirsty. And here he has said, here is water. Many have said, I am lonely. And he has said, here am I. We have walked through the trials as the Apostle Paul, and we've gone to God repeatedly and said, if it be your will, deliver me, if you would, from this circumstance, from this situation, from this condition of life, and God has chosen not to, but he has said, I am able. My grace is sufficient to you. Whatever your definition of faith may be, it encompasses the fact that you believe God. And folks, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Forty years in counting, thank God that we are here today, October the 2nd, 2011 and thank God we look forward to tomorrow if God allows our eyes to open and us to see the day and say we'll step out of the past into the future to be and do what God would have us be and do. But I want to share with you something just as a word of instruction perhaps the Apostle Peter says to those to whom he wrote, 
Interestingly enough, the Apostle Peter is not writing to a single church. He is writing to Christianity as a whole and as a mass. Peter says, be sober or self-controlled. Be vigilant or, as it were, watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, I bring this to your attention because I mentioned to you earlier that I've been in the ministry 50 plus years. But in all of my 50 years, I have never been as consciously aware of the fact that we are in spiritual warfare as I have been within the past few years. We need to be aware of that. There are experiences in life that are difficult. There are things in life that are hard. But we need to understand that in the midst of every circumstance and situation we find ourselves that is contrary to our good and our benefit that we are at war with the adversary, Satan. Satan's intent and Satan's desire above all else is to destroy that which belongs to God. Be, be vigilant, be sober. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire, devour. Resist him being steadfast in the faith. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers that are beyond our ability and beyond our capacity to deal with. Ann and I, the last three years, have been involved in a mission ministry in Columbia, South America. In the providence of God, he exposed us to that, and we went. By the way, you've had an involvement and an investment in that ministry. And there's a plaque today hanging in the Iglesia Hermosa Batista Church in Benito Viento, Colombia, South America that says, Partners in Ministry with Valley Bible Church, Hercules, California. But when we got there the first year, in the midst of everything good that we were trying to do, we encountered opposition like we had never seen before. And each of the trips that we have made, and we've been there six or seven times in the last three years, each of the trips that we have made in those times, we have encountered uh, horrendous opposition that could come only from Satan himself. On our last trip there, 
a young college student that was going to be an assistant in our working with children, said to me in a conversation, Pastor, do you believe in witches? And that was an unusual question, I thought, from a 21-year-old college student to a pastor because we had not been talking at all about spiritual things. And so I began to try to find what he was seeking to know. Did I just believe in them or what? In the course of conversation as I explained to him what I thought and what I believed the scripture said, he said, well, I want you to know I believe in witches and there are witches in Columbia that you need to be aware of. And Ann and I believe that that's true. Because we believe that there is a supernatural power that is at war with everything holy and good and righteous. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers that are beyond us. Your adversary, the devil, roams about the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and destroy. Satan does not waste time or energy. He knows your strength and your weakness, your vulnerability your openness, and that's where he will attack. He knows the things that are dear and near to you that he could destroy and that he will. He will destroy the family any and every way that he can. He will destroy the individual any and every way that he can. He will destroy the church to whatever degree he can make it less than God intended it to be. Now I say that to you as the bad news of stepping into the present and the future. Meaning very simply that it's not going to get easier it's going to get harder. Meaning very simply that it's not going to be a snap and it's not going to be something that is pie in the sky in the great buying by. Meaning that there's going to be a struggle every day that we live to a greater or lesser degree as we are constantly seeking to be obedient and faithful and responsible to God and at the same time encountering the opposition that is destined to come. Now the good news is don't be weary in well-doing. Forty years is a long time. It is easy to get tired. And once we grow tired, it is easy to be weary. And when we get weary, if we are not careful, we become vulnerable because at that point we are put in a position that we either question God in our lives or ourselves. 
But the scripture says, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, and this is where the God I am steps in. You see, when Jesus came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And stepping into that role, he promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the ages. And as God walked in the Old Testament with the children of Israel through his spirit, Jesus walks into our present and our future, giving us all that we need, his adequacy and his sufficiency. Throughout the scripture, God uses hard times, adversity, difficulty, and other things to put his people to a test and to prove himself faithful. Remember the widow of Zarephath? Elijah had been sent to her to sustain him in his time of need. He comes and he says to her, Lady, would you make me a little cake? And she said, no, I don't have anything to make a cake with except a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to make that for my son and myself and eat it so that we may have a last meal because the famine is great and we have no hope, and that's going to be our destiny. I just said, no, you make me a little cake before you eat your cake. And when you do, you're going to be surprised at what God does. And she did. He ate and said, from now on until the famine ends, your meal will not waste away and your oil will not wane. Jesus said, there was a woman who came at a time to make an offering. She didn't have anything but two little coins. And when she came, she dropped those two coins in the basket and left to go her way. But Jesus chose to call her attention to the men that were with him, saying, This woman has done more than all of these who have preceded her, though they've given bags of silver and bags of gold for the simple reason that she's given all that she had. Meaning that her only hope was God. My dear friend, whatever your circumstance is, your hope is the great I am. Your hope and your help is God. Some years ago, Ann and I had taken our daughter and her family with us to a little lake house that we have. And we had spent the night and the day. It was on a Saturday. We were getting ready uh, to pack up and go back home for our Sunday services. And I was out on the porch with our little granddaughter. And she was running back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden ran over to a roll of carpet that was over in the corner of the porch and started to jump on the carpet and when she did 
I saw that there were wasps on that carpet. So I ran over and grabbed her and fell down, and when I did, I was stung uh, pretty severely uh, by the wasp. So bad so that I went into a semi-coma type experience, and in the process, I began to have uh, nightmares, visions, dreams, or whatever else you might want to call it. But as I was there in this unconscious state, before my eyes, my mind, I had this vision. There was Satan and me, and there was hell. And Satan was saying to me, you really don't want to follow Christ. You need to follow me. And I would shake my head and say, no, I don't intend to do that. And he would take a step toward me and reach out and he said, you really don't want to follow Christ. You want to follow me. And I would say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't intend to do that. And he just kept on laboring the fact and laboring the fact. And I was trying to respond and say, no, I don't want to. No, I won't. No, I won't. And I began to be aware of the fact that I was not strong. And I looked up just over Satan's head. And there in a rock, hewn out was Jesus and he was sitting there with his arms folded and he was smiling never said a word and never did a thing but every time that Satan would say you need to follow me Jesus would say no and every time that I would say I will not he would smile and say yes I don't know whether that was an allergic reaction to a wasp's sting or what. But it solidified in my mind the promise that God had given to me that there would never be a time that I would be abandoned and never be a time that I would be forsaken and never be a time that I would not have available to me everything that I needed for that moment, for that situation, and for that circumstance. Now, what is your name? Not I was. Not I will be. I am. May we pray. Gracious Father, may your will be done as you speak to our hearts and you speak to our lives individually and collectively. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.